are recording with Dr. Murray Sabern on your third time on here, I believe, on Monday, June 26, 2023 at 4.40 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, he just asked me, for anybody watching, you might be wondering, why am I wearing a, a, a very thick, heavy winter jacket? And it's because um, this camera and this computer can only run... I record the podcast on three different software systems at once because you'll never realize just how how frustrating it is until an episode doesn't record properly and then you just can't redo it. And so I always have triple redundancy. Long story short, this camera and this computer get absolutely cooking. And uh, so I have to keep this room very, very cold so that I can do consecutive podcasts. But that also means that I get freezing because the air conditioner is I mean if I yeah I can reach out and touch it it is freezing in this room and uh the last episode I was like shivering and I was like so yeah I'm uh I am wearing a winter jacket in June it is about 80 degrees outside and it is about 57 degrees in this room but that has nothing to do with what we're talking about we're talking about your book uh why the fed sucks and um yeah, the takeaway is is that they uh, they bend over the, the the middle class and the lower class, and that um, it's a hidden tax. They really don't need a tax because they can just print more, and there mm-hmm. is not a finite resources. They can just crank up the printers, and there's nothing you or I can really do about it. They're appointed. No one really knows a lot of it. How it works? It's very difficult to get a grasp on, and uh, it's a machine that has been trudging on for. At least it's third iteration for uh, 110 years now, right? 1913. Right. So, with that, Dr. Sabrin, how are you doing, sir? And I'm doing great, Tommy. It's great to be back with you again. I should come down here to uh, Southwest Florida, where it's now 89 degrees, and uh, it's just absolutely beautiful. I I don't doubt that it is beautiful. I just wouldn't be able to. All of my all of my electronics were shut down and then then it would mean I give up and I don't want to give up. I want to keep fighting these dirty communists. And if that means I got to do several episodes a day, then I'll do several episodes a day, even at the risk of dying yeah. of hypothermia in June. <laughs> no, you're, you're a young guy. You can you can take it. I would like to think I can. So do you think that this book is now more pertinent than ever in kind of because isn't it something like is is it a correct is that a correct um um statistic that like 80 percent of all u.s dollars have been printed in the last three years yeah it's it's amazing the book came out in fact it's coming up to the fourth anniversary in july of 2019 and i wrote it while i was on sabbatical in 2017 and the book was published as we know just before COVID hit in the uh in the early part of 2020 and uh, from my vantage point when i made a presentation at rampo college about the findings of my research um, the Fed was being uh, blasted by Trump in 2019 for raising interest rates. We were on the verge of another recession in 2020, 2021, before COVID, because the Fed realized that all the money created during uh, the aftermath of the Great Recession was now starting to percolate through the economy, raising prices, raising real estate uh, values. Uh, raising wages, and they wanted to dampen the inflation that they saw coming. And so Trump got I was irate because the Fed was raising interest rates. And, and supposedly the Fed is independent of politics, but Trump stuck his big nose into the mess. And we know in past cycles, 
The Fed has always done what the president wanted to do. And a perfect example of that was 1972, when we had wage price controls that Nixon implemented in um, August of 1971 to stem the 4% inflation back then. And Arthur Burns, the chairman of the Fed, who Nixon knew from the Eisenhower administration back in the 50s, really revved up the money supply. And that gave us the inflation of the early 1970s uh, when wage price controls were lifted. And so uh, that coincided with the rise in the price of oil. And we had the, a big recession in 73 and 74. And the stock market took a nearly a 50% decline in 73 and 74. So we were going to see the same exact thing in 2020 and 2021. But the Fed started lowering interest rates at the end of uh, 2019. And then when 2020 came around and the economy was locked down initially by Trump and then the, the governors, the Fed just really put the pedal to the metal and the money supply increased by, I think, $4 trillion literally overnight. And so that is the reason that the money supply increased. That money supply has been going through the economy for the past several years, raising prices along the way, especially real estate prices, artwork. And, um, and the average family has seen their standard of living decline in some, place, in some cases substantially. Um, last June, a year ago, June, we had a 9% inflation year over year, the, the highest inflation rate we had since the early 1980s, when we, the double digit inflation was winding down. And so this is all like Groundhog Day, it keeps on repeating over and over again. Uh, the Fed increases the money supply, we get a, an unsustainable boom, we get uh, inflation, and then the Fed realizes that it's got to stop the inflation and it raises interest rates and um, the money supply either stops growing or shrinks as it is now. The money supply has been shrinking now for the past six months at a very substantial rate. Now, in past episodes, when the money supply shrank, that leads to a pretty deep recession. The thing that's keeping the US economy up now is a lot of government spending because that money is going through from the government to corporations, to individuals, to families. And that's what's keeping spending up. But we do see some weaknesses unfolding, especially in the manufacturing sector, which is very sensitive to interest rates. So we're seeing, again, the same old song playing over and over again of inflate, boom, leading to bust. And then we'll probably get another cycle of boom once we get uh, through this recession, which officially hasn't begun. But I think it's going to unfold over the next six to 12 months. And that's not very good for the Biden administration if Biden is indeed the nominee in 2024, because usually the incumbent party uh, loses big in the uh, presidential election year, like we saw in 2008 when we had the Great Recession. Uh, John McCain, the Republican nominee, got slaughtered by uh, Obama in the uh, presidential election. And um, of course, in 1932, Hoover ran for re-election and got slaughtered by um, uh, FDR because the economy was in such bad shape from all his bad policies to try to prop up the economy when, uh, when uh, he did everything wrong that caused the recession to turn into a deep depression. And we had 25% unemployment in 1932. It's very hard to run for a re-election as president when the economy is at, 30, at uh, uh, 25%. In some communities, it was over 30%. But I want to get back to another important point. Most analysts give too much credit to the president for the state of the economy. The economy basically has a life of its own based upon investment, capital formation, 
innovation. And on top of that, you got federal spending and the Federal Reserve's monetary policy, which distorts the normal operations of, of the free market. And so because of what happened during the Hoover administration, presidents have owned the economy in terms of whatever is good in the economy, they take credit for whatever is blame in the economy, their critics take uh, uh, blame them. And so you have a situation where presidents uh, should not be talking about the economy. And that's why those of us who believe in free market economics want the government to stay out of the economy as much as possible. And in this climate, it's very difficult because of $7 trillion of annual spending, which is about 20% of GDP. It's a, it's a mind-numbing number, plus these huge deficits uh, and um, money printing, which of course has slowed down considerably now. So Tommy, um, nothing will become good of what's happening right now. So we have to be uh, take care of our own family needs. Uh, that's why I've been recommending that people put a, some of their assets in gold and silver as a hedge against any financial crisis that come down that may come down the pike. And I think, um, and I'm going to show this in my Substack column, uh, instead of writing a book about it, I think I might as well get it out over the next uh, few months. I think we're going to have a major financial crisis by the end of this uh, decade in 2029, which would be the 100th anniversary okay. of the beginning of the Depression in 1929. Because when I taught financial history of the United States, I observed something that no one else has observed namely that there seemed to be 100-year cycles in the economy. For example, we had a, base, a major economic downturn in 1792. Then 100 years later, 1893, we had the Panic of 1893. And then roughly 100 years later, we had the SNL crisis of 1990-91. We had a Panic of 1819, America's first Great Depression. 100 years later, we had the Forgotten Depression of 1920-21. Then 100 years later, it wasn't a really a business cycle depression, but we had the implosion in the economy in 2020 because of COVID. Then go, let's go to 1907, the panic of 1907. A hundred years later, the Great Recession of 2007-2008. So when was the next big downturn? 1929. And then a hundred years later is 2029. Now that's not guaranteed, but all I'm saying is there are uh, some incredible coincidence with these hundred year uh, periods between major economic downturns and future economic downturns. And I forgot one other one, the panic of 1873, the oil crisis of 1974. Mm -hmm. So this goes on and on throughout American history. And it's amazing that no one else has picked up on it. And so I'll be writing about it on my Substack column at murraysaverin.substack.com, giving some historical background, which I have in my Federal Reserve book, Why the Federal Reserve Sucks. I go into the background of the pa banking panics of the 19th and early 20th century. And uh, what I did in that book, uh, Tommy, is I went through the testimony of both Greenspan and Bernanke to see what they were saying about the economy when they were testifying twice a year to the Congress, which is required of their... Uh, uh, required by law that they have to mm -hmm. let the Congress know how the economy is doing. And they were totally missing what was going on during the dot-com bubble and during the housing bubble. And so it's just amazing that we just keep on repeating the same thing over and over again. And I think we're in for a rough time in this decade. Do you think the century patterns, do you think it's hard for that to kind of be overcome because, you know, there's just the human lifespan and the whole, like, I don't know, kick the can down the road until I'm dead? Do you think that's probably why it keeps going is like 
yeah, I mean, it's, it's such an abstract time period to say, like, let's say it happens in the end of the century, right? It's, it's kind of hard to, you know, morally and ethically, like, we should feel obligated to offset it. But do you think that's part of it is just keep kicking the can down the road? Well, here's what's happened historically. Again, that's not a guarantee that it'll happen again. Mm -hmm. But historically, nations that have run these huge deficits have to borrow a lot of money in order to balance the books. When, when governments run these huge deficits, most of the time there isn't enough money in savings. So the federal, the central bank borrows, uh, I'm sorry, buys the, de the debt and that's creating money. That's called monetizing the debt. That's happened in Argentina, Brazil, and other countries around the world. And of course, the most famous one was the German hyperinflation of the early 1920s, where they ran these huge deficits to pay for the reparations that they were forced to pay after World War I. And the central bank was just printing up money like crazy. And of course, the, uh, before World War I, it, it took four German marks to buy uh, a US dollar. At the height of the German hyperinflation, it took four trillion marks to buy a dollar. That's how crazy the hyperinflation was in Germany. We all saw pictures of people with yeah. wheelbarrows full of money going to the store to buy um, groceries and people were using uh, the German marks to heat their homes because uh, the, the middle class and low income gr uh, groups were wiped out. So people were papering, papering their walls with the money in order to keep warm. So it was a total breakdown. Hyperinflation has occurred throughout the world. The last time we had hyperinflation in the United States was basically during the Civil War, where the South was printing up a lot of money to pay for the war. And uh, one economist had defined hyperinflation as 50% or more inflation. And that's exactly what the South had, uh, more than 50% per, uh, inflation per month. So could you imagine when prices go up 50% each month, not a year, but each month, that means at the end of the year, prices are up by a th about 1,000% because you get the compounding effect of prices going up. So here's what could happen, not could happen, not will happen, but could happen in the United States. There's no fiscal discipline in Washington. We saw this uh, budget deal, this uh, debt ceiling deal, which mm -hmm. doesn't do anything to address the real problem, which is government spending. And so what will happen, or what could happen, is the federal government just keeps on borrowing money year after year after year for the next several years. Foreigners who buy up a good portion of the debt each year will say no more. We're not going to buy any more debt because we see that the fiscal house of the United States is going down the tubes and they will refuse to buy it. So then the Federal Reserve will step in and buy up the debt. And, and, and depending on how large the debt will be over the next several years, they may be they may create trillions and trillions and trillions of new dollars, which will enter the economy via government spending. And um, and that will raise prices and wages. Of course, prices go up faster than wages. That's why middle income folks get really hurt during inflation. And uh, we could have a hyperinflation by the end of the decade or sometime in the next decade. No, can time this right now. But that's what's on the horizon because there's such an appetite for spending in Washington that even after COVID and all the stimulus money, spending is not going back to its pre-COVID levels. And that's the real problem we have is that uh, th what we're seeing now is what's happened in the past. Spending goes up, the crisis is, uh, passes, and spending rarely goes down. The only time that's happened big time is right after World War II, where the budget of the federal government went down by 50%. And that was a great 
boon to yeah. the economy because what that meant was government was not sucking up the resources of the private sector and we had the great economic boom yeah. of the post-war period that was the era of the baby boomers the soldiers came back from world war ii they got married they created uh, families suburbanization sprung up all over the country as people moved out of the cities uh automobile sales took off uh television sales took off and uh, we had a great economic boom in the 1950s even though it was punctuated with uh several mild recessions but overall uh, the economy was humming along and uh, all you have to do is see newsreel pictures of the 1950s and early 1960s we had relatively low inflation because there was a tremendous productivity uh, boost in the u.s economy and so it was it was really sometimes people will call it sort of the best of times uh the federal government there was no medicare and medicaid till 1965 social security was a small part of the federal budget so the only thing the federal government really spent money on 50 percent of the budget was devoted to defense spending because of the cold war and there weren't all these entitlement programs because the great society uh, spending didn't kick in until the second half of the 1960s and so government was not a big drain on the economy as it is today and uh, that's one of the reasons the federal reserve is very nervous about fiscal policy because they see if the federal government doesn't have any discipline uh it will step in which it shouldn't it should not step in and enable the federal government to spend all this money Jerome Powell should say to uh the public and the members of Congress uh our job is to maintain the purchasing power of the dollar not to create the excess dollars uh which of course they create dollars all the time but not recently and he should, he should put the Congress on notice. If you don't balance the budget or, or keep spending intact, uh, we're not going to bail you out by, by, uh, by buying up your, your debt, the Treasury's debt. And he should state that very uh, unequivocally, and that will, get them, that will get their attention, I can tell you that. Yeah, when you examine all those things, I just, I, I, and I've had this thought for the last two years or so, and it's not right. But in terms of what I think will happen, I think they want like a world war because I, I and I really do like I don't think it's that absurd to believe. I think they're looking at World War Two, the post-war boom, and they're going, "Hey, there's something there." I think I have a bad feeling that's where this is going. Well, this is what some people are worried about: is that uh, our involvement in Ukraine yes. lead to World War Three? Uh, because uh, Putin is not going to let up in terms of Ukraine should not be part of NATO. NATO should be disabandoned, just as the Warsaw Pact was disabandoned when the Soviet Union collapsed. And so we have, I think, not only uh, a humane obligation, but a moral obligation to not have a, an alliance that could, uh, tr could be a tripwire to World War III. Three, because the, the, the NATO uh, pact says that an attack on one NATO country mm -hmm. is an attack on all of us, and that will uh, initiate a war. Uh, now, under our Constitution, the president has to go to Congress to get a declaration of war, which hasn't happened since December 8th, 1941, after Pearl Harbor. And so we've been living basically in a, constitu in a, in a uh, continuous constitutional crisis, not only having these endless wars since World War II, Korea, Vietnam, the Middle East, and, uh, and now a proxy war in Ukraine. But, the, but one of the points that no one, Tommy, in Washington or even on podcasts are talking about, I think I'm the only one talking about this, is that we have unconstitutional spending. Article 1, Section 8, 
outlines the specific spending that is allowed under the Constitution, and you compare that section of the Constitution with the federal budget, there's a major disconnect. And I think it's yesterday, June 25th, 1959, Tommy, I raised my right hand and became United States citizen, uh, taking the oath to uphold the Constitution. I've been doing that since 1959 as a citizen, as a, a, a U.S. Senate candidate in New Jersey, and now as a, in my post-college teacher teaching career as a, as a, a guest on podcasts, radio shows, and making this point very simple. In fact, I was on a New Hampshire radio station this morning, and I asked the host, because he's going to have a lot of the uh, presidential candidates on his show because they have to go up to New Hampshire for the primary mm -hmm. next year. I said, the one question you should ask all of them, Jack, is ask them, uh, how do you justify the federal budget, given that Article 1, Section 8 does not authorize the government to spend money on all these programs? Hmm. Tell me what you're going to do to make sure we have a constitutional budget. And that is the 64th thousand dollar question that no one in Congress that I've seen talk about this on any of the talk shows. No one's writing about it. And uh, I'll continue to write it in my Substack column because I think that's the issue we have to address is what is authorized. And of course, we know that the F Supreme Court has not been any help in this because uh, they had their chance to deal with Social Security in uh, the 1930s after it was passed and there was a, a lawsuit to challenge Social Security's uh, constitutionality and the Supreme Court punted. They said it, it, it can uh, occur even though there's, no thing, there's nothing in the Constitution. The difference between our era and previous eras before the Great Depression Tommy, is that back then people respected the Constitution. So in 19, 1895, when the Supreme Court ruled that the income tax that was passed and signed by President Grover Cleveland was unconstitutional, then they went to the route of amending the Constitution with the 16th Amendment, which was passed in November 1913. Prohibition, the prohibitionists wanted to ban alcohol. There's no authority in the Constitution to ban alcohol, so we got the 18th Amendment banning alcohol. In other words, the federal government can do something as long as it's in the Constitution, the supreme law of the land. Um, there's nothing uh, in the Constitution that bans the uh, use of any narcotic or anything like that. Uh, and so, again, the federal government is acting unconstitutionally with the so-called war on drugs. Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, there's nothing in the Constitution that authorizes the government to spending on these programs. However, what the Congress has done and what the Supreme Court has, has uh, rubber-stamped is that there's a clause in the Constitution which basically is an open-ended invitation for presidents and the Congress to spend on anything, the general welfare clause, that the, that the, the preamble to the Constitution says the Constitution, uh, the federal government is, is to promote the general welfare. Well, that's a pretty ambiguous statement. It, it, it doesn't talk about individual welfare. It talks about general welfare. What's the general welfare? Keep us peaceful. Hmm. That's the general welfare. Make sure we're not invaded. Make sure our borders are secure. And that's the, the basic of, um, uh, role of the federal government is to keep the peace and make sure that we have friendly relations around the world instead of trying to saber rattle all over the world, whether it's in the Mideast, whether it's in the South China Sea, with the Straits of Taiwan, or now in Eastern Europe with Ukraine. So uh, we have a lot of uh, work to cut out for us, uh, Tommy, in order to get back to a constitutional uh, republic get back to a, a constitutional 
federal budget, and there's nothing in the Constitution that authorizes the Federal Reserve either. And so uh, uh, that's another issue that has to be addressed, is where's the authorization to have a central bank uh, that's privately run for all intents and purposes, and... Uh, and uh, stop manipulating interest rates. I mean, that, this is incredible. I mean, I, I taught corporate finance for 35 years, and nowhere in the book does it say that interest rates can be or should be 0%, which we had for many, many years because of the Federal Reserve's policy. So again, here's another example of the president, the Supreme Court, and the Congress basically ignoring the Constitution, and that's why we have a $32 trillion debt, a $7 trillion budget, and... Um, uh, a printing press by the Federal Reserve, a, a manipulation of interest rates. and But that's the bad news. The, the good news, and I, I have to stress this, Tommy, that's the really bad say, news. Give me some good news, man. The good news is, let me give you an example. I just looked this up the other day. When I was a kid in the 1950s, color TV came to the marketplace. And a color TV back in the mid-1950s was anywhere between $1,000 and $1,200. Back in the 1950s, in purchasing power today, that's about $12,000. And that was for a not good quality color TV. Now, you, now for twelve thousand dollars, you could probably get I don't know a uh, hundred inch screen, a hundred inch screen TV. But you can get a fabulous HD TV screen uh, for about what a thousand dollars in today's money. So, that shows you the power of the free market economy. Once, yeah. once you have a, a good introduced in the marketplace. In real, in real uh, terms, its price goes down over time. Unfortunately, it hasn't happened with the automobile, but you can make the case that my first car was a 1968. And uh, that was my first mistake in life. I bought a new car in 1968. That was, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Uh, and I tell students to really, get, to really get good value for your money, buy a good two, three-year-old car, and, you'll say, and then invest the rest of the money for the next 40, 50 years, and you'll do extremely well. But the point is, uh, car prices have probably gone up about 12 times since I bought my first car in 1968. But the quality of the cars today are so much better than the cars of 1968, where you didn't have um, uh, fuel injection, you didn't have a front-wheel drive, you didn't have uh, six eight-speed transmissions, you didn't have uh, a navigation system, you didn't cars. have... I mean, t I mean, the cars today are an incredible uh, piece of uh, technology, so much better than the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. And the quality is there because the competition, companies realize that if you uh, produce a clunker, you're going you're gonna to get bombarded on, on uh, Kelly Blue Book and Edmunds, uh, which rates the cars, and of course, Consumer Reports. So you've got to come out with a product, you've got to test it real well. And uh, cell phone service today, they were usually expensive when they first came out in the, in the 1990s. Now everyone has a cell phone. I mean, you have low-income folks with cell phones all the time. No one, no one uh, hesitates to get a cell phone. And I'm, I'm on a laptop now. My older brother bought a laptop, I guess, in the 1980s, 90s. And I think he paid $12,000 for one back then. And it was a big, clunky piece of equipment. The laptop that I'm on now, I think I paid, I don't know, $2,200 for it a couple of years ago. And it's the, the quality of the picture, uh, the, the storage capacity. Uh, my first um, desktop was in 1984. It was $2,000. And it had a 30 megabyte hard drive, <laughs> Now, which is nothing. No. Which is nothing. 
and a printer, a dot matrix printer, which was noisy and bulky today. The printers are, are double-sided with color, and you can get them for a couple hundred dollars. And uh, it's just amazing how these high-tech items have come down. That's the That's really good news of a market economy, is that over time, these prices come down. And if we had that across the board, if our wages stay the same and prices go down in general 2-3% a year, our living standard goes up by 2-3% a year. Instead, the Federal Reserve has this unbelievable concept of a 2% inflation is their target, which means that you've got to manipulate money and credit in order to get to that 2% target. And it's nowhere in the textbooks, nowhere in theory does it say that inflation should be running at 2%. And uh, because in the, in the market economy, prices go down. So the Fed is fighting the market economy. And that's the real shame of what's going on is that even with the 400 economists, PhD economists at the Federal Reserve, they don't seem to realize that the Federal Reserve is preventing the standard of living from spreading to the masses of the people by keeping prices up. And so uh, this is why we have a lot of work to do to get the message out to people through podcasts like yours and others that the Federal Reserve is really the enemy of the average family. It keeps prices higher than otherwise would be in a free market. And um, we're starting to see the economy uh, slow down. Manufacturing indexes are slowing down. They're going negative. And it's just a matter of time before this thing uh, gains speed, I think, over the next six months to a year. In terms of the purchasing power, yeah, I have a, <clears throat> I have an 86-inch 4K TV that I think I got for $900. 86 inch 86 it's ridiculous yeah yeah I, I, oh my goodness yeah no and i moved into this new apartment i i bought it for myself as a as a i thought i deserved to treat and it's it's insane but yeah that was, that was 900 bucks i think and it wasn't even you can get some you can get some seats and have a movie theater and try well, money. I've, I've got a i've got a huge recliner and that's why I, I play video <laughs> games on it and it feels like a movie theater it's wild but i mean 86 inch i couldn't i, I, I didn't realize it's that ridiculous you... when people walk into this room they all kind of do a double take and they're like what the hell is that and i'm like that is my movie theater <laughs> I, I that's what i paid for a 32 inch tv in 2007 yeah no and this is this was last this was last november yeah, no, and, and the price for this thing has already come down in like in half, and it's, I mean, on this desktop, you're talking about what you had thirty megabytes on your, on your computer. Uh -huh. I mean, this iMac from 2021's got two terabytes, yeah. and on my desktop, I have a hundred and eighteen terabytes. Unbelievable, uh, absurd, and so I mean, that is the good news is that you know there is progress. It's just, oh, there's no question about it. Yeah. It's, but I mean, what you said about the war declarations, I mean, yeah, Korea, Vietnam, desert storm, global war and terror. Now the proxy wars in Ukraine. And I think they're itching for it in Taiwan. Yeah. And then the, and then the federal reserve and the, and the no authorization of it. It does seem like there was, um, you know, not all at once, not all that you could argue it happened with Kennedy in one day. But I think what we have seen is a very slow and subtle uh, coup, uh, an yeah. unconstitutional coup between the Federal Reserve and really, you mean, the rise of the military industrial complex. It does seem like, yeah, they, they know it's unconstitutional. You and I know it's unconstitutional. They know we know and we know they yeah. know that we know <laughs> and there's nothing to do because they have all the tanks. So it's that's kind of a that's kind of a dark realization that they're very aware that it's unconstitutional. It just seems that I mean they're they're the bully, 
you know, what are, what are you going to do about it kind of thing? Well, the, the, what's keeping the economy afloat now is that gasoline prices have come down, which is probably the most sensitive indicator for the average family about inflation. They go to the supermarket, they see prices are up, so they pay another 50 cents, 60 cents. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't affect them. Uh, we, uh, there's a front page article in the Wall Street Journal today, which is going to get a lot of people's attention. Auto insurance rates across the country are skyrocketing. I mean, really skyrocketing. Here in Florida, because of Hurricane Ian last summer, I called up to get different quotes. And uh, the, the company that I'm with, I've been with for a long time. In fact, they were bought out by uh, farmers. When I called an agent to get quotes from other uh, companies, she said, you got the real good rates because uh, companies have, have jacked up rates in Florida uh, enormously because of the losses associated with Hurricane Ian. And we're seeing that all across the country, tornadoes and uh, fires and storms, whatever. And so automobile policies have gone through. Also, the cost of repairing has gone up. Thefts have gone up in, in, in urban areas. And... Uh, this will continue probably as as homeowners insurance because of Ian and and these uh, uh, weather uh, events that have taken place. So that's one aspect of the the family's uh, budget will be hurt. And food prices are sort of a, we were at, we were at Trader Joe's uh, not uh, not too long ago, and my wife said, um, "Here's this item and it's up fifty cents." Well, that doesn't sound like much, but it's ten percent. Yeah, it's a ten percent increase. So when you see these small incremental increases, even though they're not much in terms of actual money, in terms of percentage, they're pretty substantial. Uh, utility rates, uh, we're here in Florida, FP&L um, has been pretty good, Florida Power and Light, they've been pretty good. Uh, in fact, I've seen ads on TV where they say they've kept their rates um, flat now for many, many years because of tremendous efficiency. And of course, if we go to nuclear, that should have a great impact on, on, on rates as well, keeping rates down. But um, all these regulations uh, tend tend to not always get tend to get passed through the consumer. And that's why economic regulations are another tax on the American family. Uh, another way of jacking up the cost of living because companies try to pass it on to consumers. And uh, I saw the, the other day, the average price of a new uh, vehicle is over $40,000. And so that's hurting a lot of people. Rents are going uh, through the roof in a lot of places in the country. And so uh, for, for, the, for young people, especially today, buying a house, it becomes a real, real challenge since interest rates have doubled from when they were a couple of years ago, from a 3% 30-year mortgage to more than a 6%. So that raises their monthly payments, plus they need a down payment as well. And prices have just gone uh, wild, although, uh, especially here in Southwest Florida and other uh, uh, very desirable places to live in. Um, uh, in fact, the, the New Hampshire radio station I was on today, uh, the host was saying that uh, homes at the, uh, at the ocean in New Hampshire, starting at $1 million. That's mind-boggling. $1 million years ago was considered a mansion. Yeah. Now it's an everyday house in some communities around the country. And it just shows you how inflated everything is. Yeah. And look at artwork, artwork prices. I mean, 30, 40, $50 million at the uh, car auctions. I like to watch that on Motor Trend over the weekend. You see the car auction yeah. prices, beautiful cars and the prices. I mean, it's not uncommon to see million dollar cars going off at auction. And it just shows you the amount of money that's in people's pockets all across the country. Uh, again, reflecting the supply of money that has been jacked up over the last uh, few years and especially the last uh, 20 years. So um, th this will continue until um, until we get a major financial crisis. And that's when uh, 
that and, and that's exactly when countries have to put their fiscal house in order mm. and um, unfortunately it, it it occurs with a lot of pain because unless you're positioned uh, with your assets and if you don't have any assets it's you don't have to worry about but if you have a portfolio of stocks and bonds um, it, you may be adversely affected but the interesting thing about stocks and this is something that I don't know if the average person knows about this during a hyperinflation stocks at the tail end of a hyperinflation do extremely well because what do stocks represent claims on assets of companies and those assets go up in price land machinery equipment oh. uh, and so in the German hyperinflations the stock market in real terms skyrocketed because um, people were, were, were getting rid of, of their currency the mark and buying stocks and so th that's what's that could drive stock prices here up as well but we had the depression which caused which which led to the a 90 percent decline in stock prices from 1929 to 1932 and then prices took off during the 1930s as um, as the federal reserve pumped so much money into into the economy to try to get the economy out of a depression which of course didn't work because we still had more than double digit inflation on the eve of world war ii so printing money is not the uh not the uh, uh solution to the problems of the world because if printing money was the solution, Venezuela would be a great economy, Zimbabwe would be a great economy, yeah. and other third world countries that print up uh, money uh, by the boatload in order to, um, to keep their economies afloat. You need to have a cleanse of the economy and get prices back to free market levels. And um, uh, we, ha we have a lot of work to do here to do that. And so um, uh, it's, it's going to take, I think, a major financial crisis before that happens. So we'll see how this plays out over the next several years. But uh, this year and next year, uh, we should have that recession that I forecast a year and a half ago in a Fortune magazine article and updated it this past uh, um, March. And they can uh, the links to it are in my Substack columns that I've been writing. And uh, at the end of uh, the Substack column, I link to those two articles and they provide some insight about how a recession uh, unfolds and why it occurs in the first place. Uh, because of Fed policy and um, uh, we are at the perfect storm, Tommy, of bad monetary policy, bad economic policy, a lot of regulation. Um, so the Biden administration has done nothing in the two and a half years it's been in office to get us back to a market economy, a full market economy, because the ideology in Washington on the Democratic side is we got to spend. Now, the Republicans, they like to spend also because the budget doesn't go down when the a Republican president is in the White House. That that's what the data show. Yeah, yeah. In fact, that, that was a, a that was a point that I'll admit I I had no idea about. I read it in your book, and it was uh, yeah. I know the 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 budget tends to, if it ever does plateau, that's under Democratic leadership. Yeah, it, it, it's uh, if you look at the years of, of Obama, the eight years of Obama, uh, the budget went up very slowly because the Demo uh, the Republicans took control of the House in 2010, and they were a check on Obama's uh, spending. And same thing happened in uh, 1994 when the Republicans took control of the Congress. Uh, spending on the Clinton was sort of muted uh, in his last term. So again, uh, you can make the case that the best of both, uh, the best of uh, governance is a Democratic president with a Republican uh, Congress <laughs> uh, to put the brake on their spending. But Trump spending went through the roof. Yeah, I mean, if if you didn't know who was president, you, you would have. Yeah, you would have you written would them think, off as a. Yeah. You would think it was LBJ uh, <laughs> uh, 
uh, a descendant on steroids because yeah, the way spending yeah. went up, it, it's remarkable how spending went up during the Trump administration. And now uh, spending has reached levels, which is seven, nearly $7 trillion a year, which is mind boggling. When you think about it, when Reagan became president 40 years ago, the national debt was only, was less than a trillion dollars. Now it's $32 trillion. And I, I don't have the budget numbers off on the top of my head, but they were nowhere near $7 trillion. They were probably uh, no more than a trillion dollars. So we've, the debt has skyrocketed in 40 years, in two generations, and the budget has skyrocketed. And can anyone really say that the American people are better off because of all the spending and no. money? Printing? Of course not. No. So it's the free market that is giving us a, a, as good an economy as we can get with all the government spending and money printing that we've had. Yeah, yeah, it's the free market and the hard work of individuals which has kept this thing afloat. And yeah, I think it was under, Ob I could be wrong, but I vaguely remember being on an airplane and reading, and I think it was under Obama, and it was, a, it was like the next fiscal year budget, and they're like, it's going to be a record-breaking budget of like $1.9 And that was just, that was just two presidents ago, one9 no, the budget under Obama, if I recall correctly, looking at the numbers, it was it was I think three and a half trillion. Oh, then I don't know what the hell I was looking at. Yeah, I mean, I looked at the numbers the other day, and it's just remarkable how COVID just uh, the government spend, federal government spending under uh, under Trump under COVID was 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 just unbelievable. I mean, it looks this chart looks like a rocket ship. It just went straight up the budget line from th from three point eight trillion in, uh, Obama's last budget. To I think uh, six trillion plus under Trump, and that's all stimulus money. That money should have been gone away by now, and the budget should be no more than four and a half trillion dollars. But instead, it's nearly seven tr trillion dollars, which means that the Biden administration is spending money hand over fist for no apparent reason other than their ideology says we got to spend money on the environment, we got to spend money on on, on uh, green initiatives, and uh, more entitlements. And we know that Social Security and Medicare spending and Medicare spending, uh, Medicaid spending has gone through the roof as well as more baby boomers are retiring. And so uh, uh, there's no simple solution to this, but I've offered them in my Substack column of how we can phase out Medicare, Medicaid and Social Security and allow young people like yourself and uh, uh, your peers to save for your own retirement, both for income and for uh, health care. And if we start that process, which, by the way, I advocated nearly 30 years ago in my Tax-Free 2000 book, which would have made the 21st century a really it's sort of a Jeffersonian America where we would have really limited government and, um, and none of these mega government programs. Uh, so uh, that opportunity was lost, but we still keep on plugging away and advocating these policies that would be beneficial to everyone in the country. And we wouldn't, and we would close the wealth gap in this country because the, as the primary rep, uh, beneficiaries of the Federal Reserve policy, as I point out in my book, is the one percenters, the five percenters who own most of the stock, most of the real estate, uh, most of the artwork that gets inflated over a, a cycle. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there is some genius behind the evilness of it. It's oh, kind yeah. of like who wields the military. You kind of control everything. Like, what do you, you know, print more money to build a bigger military, and then who the hell is going to stop you? You got to have a military to stop the military. And it it does seem like, you know, it's a, it's a parasite, and it's going to just keep 
jumping from war to war to war to war. And I, I, it's almost like the bully has gotten too big to where I don't even know if, right? Because the bully stops when he catches a black eye. But I don't think there's anyone who can give the U.S. a black eye. And it just, it seems like we're just going to keep running this train until we go off the tracks. Well, the, the, the danger we know is uh, with, with U.S. military bases uh, in Eastern Europe and yeah. Western Europe, with military bases in the, in the South Pacific and Japan, Korea, and, um, and uh, Southeast Asia, uh, th- this is a tripwire. This is how you get involved in wars, is that uh, you have some event that takes place, and then it leads to more uh, uh, fighting, more shooting, and then it escalates. And so this is the danger of having troops and bases all around the world and um, and now, of course, the Chinese are in Cuba, just as we are in bases surrounding uh, China. And in 1962, when uh, Kennedy found out that there, there were missiles in Cuba, uh, it nearly led to World War III. And I remember that vividly. I was a high school student when that happened, uh, uh, Tommy. And we came very close to uh, a nuclear exchange with the Soviet Union because there were missiles in Cuba. And so uh, if, if China puts missiles in Cuba, uh, which is a real possibility, but they, but the Chinese know history as well as anybody that the uh, U.S. president uh, almost came to blows with the Soviet Union because of the missiles in Cuba. I don't think they would be that reckless. I can't see them being that provocative. But then again, we have missiles all around China. Um, yeah. I just saw the other day we have 120 bases in Japan. I mean, you... World War II has been over for 77 years. I'm going to text you a book right now called Base Nation by mm. David Vine. And uh, I had him on this show a little over two years ago. Um, but it was about that book. And it's to this day, it's one of my it's one of my favorite books. I'm going to text it to you right now. But it's okay. yeah, it, it's a tripwire. And then you start to think, yeah, by design, it's a tripwire. They know what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing, and it's, I don't, I, I can't despair, because I feel like despair is a slow form of suicide. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. I, I have to stay positive, and, you know, a lot of it does come down to just personal things, like, you know, can I go to the gym more? Can I keep my apartment clean? Can I read books? Can I go visit my parents? Can I be a good friend? And, you know, sometimes you do have to do that and not totally give in to the because i mean what we're talking about are these like hyperscale institutions the federal reserve and the military industrial complex i mean we're essentially talking about gods fighting right and but man it's easy to slip into despair when you just you're like what is there to do and i don't i don't know if i have the answer well this this is why a lot of people are saying hey i can't change the federal reserve i can't change the um structure of the federal government. So I'm going to be as productive as I can, earn as much money as I I can, and enjoy my life and try to uh, not get caught in this web that the big government has has cast uh, around the U.S. economy. And I I think for a lot of people, that's what they're doing. Uh, They're homeschooling their kids so they don't have to deal with the craziness that's going on in the public schools. Um, A lot of families are just going and getting off the grid if they want to do Mm -hmm. that. Um, And there are people that are just living their life and just uh, taking uh, in the best that uh, they can have in their environments. They still go traveling. I mean, 
from what uh, we've been reading, the airlines are book solid. The cruise lines are getting more and more uh, customers after COVID. So people want to enjoy their life. They they want to travel. They want to uh, be entertained. They're going to concerts and so on and so forth. So again, for the average person, uh, they see prices go up, so they're making adjustments uh, to their income. They may go get a second job if, if necessary, if they don't have a, a, a high income from, a fir from their first job. So people make adjustments. That's the beauty of uh, human beings. People, usually people are flexible. And uh, despair is not something I ever dealt with because uh, uh, if people read my uh, memoir, uh, From Immigrant to Public Intellectual, uh, there are times that in my life where I could have gone into a deep depression mm -hmm. because of things that were happening to me, but I didn't because I generally were, was an op uh, optimistic kid and um, had a positive mental attitude. And if you do that, uh, you can get through life without much difficulty, but um, uh, th things for some people can get very tough. And uh, that's why uh, sometimes that's why a lot, I've met a lot of people that don't watch the news anymore. Oh, they you just you got to unplug. They, they just cannot take the negativity that's out there with the crime, with the fires, with the with the, what goes on in Washington. And um, and so people say, I just can't watch this anymore. It, it's no good for my psyche. It's no good for my uh, uh, psychological balance. And so they just watch some inane uh, TV, or they don't watch any TV at all. They just read a book or uh, go take a walk, or whatever the case may be, go to the gym, uh, work off some energy that way. And so, again, we all have choices to make, and hopefully we make choices that improve our, our uh, uh, lives, uh, either uh, uh, mentally or um, emotionally or uh, psychologically and, um, and uh, uh, materially. And that's what it's all about, to have that nice balance in life. And if you do that, uh, then what what the government does, what the Federal Reserve does, uh, will not uh, give you that despair that, that easily people can fall into because of uh, what's happening around them. No, beautifully said. And <clears throat> that is something you have to do is just and I always have to remain optimistic. And I and I do. And I I try to look at it as like, um, you know, the negativity of all of this might not be totally worthless it might force you to be better i mean like competition right you got to put out a better car yeah maybe you know it's a it's a form of a workout of you know you gotta stay for me like i can't go a day without the gym i can't go a day without a, a good night's sleep or a walk mm -hmm. and get some sunshine on my face it almost forces you to be better when things can seem so dark it almost for it almost forces you to to fine hone your positivity, fine hone your optimism. Yeah, uh, what what I'm looking forward to see how long we can stay afloat is uh, what you see in third world countries when the economy really turns bad is that you get blackouts, the utilities mm. for some reason uh, can't, can't make it. Uh, you get the interruption in cell service, you may inter get interruption in that. Um, but uh, as long as there's gasoline, at the gas station, the stores are relatively stocked with goods and services. We saw what happened during the supply chain disruption because of COVID. Things were in, in uh, short supply or people were waiting months and months for furniture and other things from overseas. As long as people feel that they can use their dollars that they earn to buy things that they want, people will not complain too much because it, it's an opportunity cost, Tommy, and, this, and the government knows that, people know that. It's very hard to go to Washington to to uh, to demonstrate against the government. You can go down to your 
uh, city hall and complain. You can go to the county government. You can go to maybe your state capital if it's not that far away. <clears throat> and so people uh, would rather not do that because it takes time, effort, and resources to to uh, to complain yeah. in person. And so you can, you can call up your congressman or your uh, uh, council person. Uh, you can write the governor. Uh, during the first oil crisis, I wrote Nixon a letter in the White House saying, get rid of these controls because uh, you're hurting the economy. I never heard back, but... Uh, <laughs> But the point is, I was so outraged because I was commuting uh, 45 miles each way to graduate school from New York City to uh, New Brunswick, New Jersey at Rutgers. And so I was spending a lot of time in the gas lines, yeah. getting up six o'clock in the morning because you had the yeah, odd, even. odd even. Yeah. I mean, that is insane. That shows you a breakdown of the free market because of the government, not because of the free market, because of government intervention. So whenever you have people lining up like you did in the old Soviet Union, it shows you how government intervention makes goods and services unavailable to the average person at a reasonable price. And so those of us who experienced the odd even in, in 73, 74, and then again in 79 with the second oil shock, uh, this was a real, real problem because of government control of the energy market. And that's why we should get rid of the Department of Energy. It's an $80 billion boondoggle or thereabouts. Maybe it's $100 billion these days. Uh, they don't produce any energy. The, the, uh, the oil companies and the natural gas companies and other re resource companies produce the energy uh, that we need. Uh, just get the government out of that area. Get the government out of education and starting to downsize the budget to a constitutional um, level would, would, would be a real boon to the economy. And unfortunately, the people in Washington don't see it that way. And that's why I, I will keep on writing and speaking and um, trying to get the message out to as many uh, Americans as possible that um, there is a better way than the way uh, the economy is structured right now. Dr. Sabrin, and for everybody listening, if you go to the description, I, I checked earlier during in, during our podcast your Substack is linked into the in the description um great i would love to have you back on here man you're always a you're always a ball of fire i would I, i'd love to have you back on and i'll we, we can text about this i'd like to hear you come on and, and talk about nuclear energy i feel like you could i feel like you could do you could do an hour on nuclear energy well i haven't really done a lot of research i'm not the best person for nuclear yeah, energy. I, know, I know i know that's why i'm throwing it out there almost as a challenge i feel like if 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 anyone could tackle it, it'd be you. Yeah, I mean, one area want. that I, one area that I think is, is is really terrific to talk about is this whole concept of uh, climate change. Oh, I think sure. to me that's fascinating. Uh, the best website there is, as far as I'm concerned, and I met the one of the founders of the website is the CO2Coalition.org. I had on uh, Doctor uh, Happer. Wright, no, no, uh, uh, Wrightstone, I think. One of okay. the guys from there. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful website. They just have a, a ton of information. That information has to get to the public to show that uh, uh, what's going on in, in, in the climate is, is not based on science. It's based upon mythology and uh, a false narrative. And, money. and the other is on, on, on health care. I mean, um, to me, this is the 800-pound um, gorilla in the room. It's a $4 trillion sector of the economy that we could reduce by... Uh, by I think 50% if we had a, a free market medical care system in, the, in this country, which would free up $2 trillion for the American people to enjoy on, in other areas to, for investment purposes, for um, savings, for their future, 
And I think it would be a great thing if we can restructure the, the uh, healthcare system. And it wouldn't take a lot to do that. So we could explore that uh, again, to. because, um, and then of course we can talk about the, the presidential campaign for 2024. And um, uh, I think it's gonna be fascinating to see how that uh, unfolds, uh, given that RFK Jr. is making some headway in the Democratic he, primary. He's coming think, and swinging. Uh, I, th I think uh, this is one of the most exciting things happening in, in uh, American politics in a long, long time because he comes from obviously one of the uh, iconic families Dynasty. in American politics. And, um, and uh, he's talking truth to power about the, the He's talking truth. Well, not just that, man. He's talking truth. He's not mincing any words when he says the Central Intelligence Agency killed my father and my uncle. He's not. When I saw him say that on an interview, I was like, oh, he's not dancing around anything. He's coming in there full Irish, full Irish anger. Well, the thing is, uh, once you have the facts, Tommy, it's very hard for people to argue against you well, because once you have the facts and true. you can de you can demonstrate what happened. And the thing that is really astonishing and Trump really blew this when he should have released the Kennedy assassin assassination yeah. record, which are long overdue. And um, he was snookered on that by um, uh, Pompeo, the head of the CIA. Um, and so Trump should have shown his statement and said, no, the Kennedy assassination was nearly 60 years ago. The American people have the right to know what happened. So release all the records and let the chips fall where they may. All the people around the Kennedy assassination are now dead. They're deceased. They're long gone. Let's find out the truth. And the, one of the best books on this is um, James Douglas's book. Um, uh, what's it called? Uh, the Kennedy, why he died and why it matters, something to that effect. James Douglas on the Kennedy assassination. It is fully documented with, I think, more than 500 footnotes. It's, uh, again, we're coming up to the 60th anniversary of the Kennedy assassination, and so many great books have been written about this, articles, uh, podcasts of people who, uh, who uh, have investigated on their own over the decades, and uh, the, the evidence, I think, is pretty conclusive that Lee Harvey Oswald did not kill President Kennedy, and... Um, uh, th there's n really no evidence for that, and so uh, uh, we got to we got to get the truth out to the vast majority of the American people because uh, uh, we we got to know what the government is doing, and that's why uh, we shouldn't have any government secrets. Uh, they should tell us exactly what they're doing with our tax dollars. Beautifully said, and I'd say uh, up there with those Kennedy books is uh, the Ghost by Jefferson Morley. That one's uh, yes. that one's uh, that one gets pretty dark about the uh, CIA and James Jesus Angleton. Um, but Dr. Sabrin, if you could please shoot me a text as a reminder and uh, we'll schedule the next one. I think a healthcare episode would be cool. I think a climate change episode would be cool. Um, yeah, man, I love talking to you. You're, you're, you're a ball of fire. You're intimidatingly intelligent. <laughs> well, thanks, Tommy. It's great to be with you. And um, I don't know, maybe one day we'll take a trip to Maine during the summer and uh, and uh, just get away from the heat here in Southwest Florida. It's uh, in the 90s every day, Disgusting. but uh, we, we do our exercises in the morning, either in the gym or uh, take a walk outdoors and uh, get some nice fresh air, much better than um, Northern New Jersey where we live for so many come, decades. Come up to New England, it's the promised land. It is the yeah, well, it's summertime. Uh, that's why people leave uh, Florida it's and uh, the South and go up to New England it's because beautiful. it's really comfortable up there. You can't beat it, man. You can't beat it. And guys, please go into the description. Please go grab his books. Please go support the good man. And um, yeah, dude, I look forward to talking to you. Great. Great to be with you, Tommy. Thanks again. You too. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you for your time. Guys, Recording thank you for stopped. watching. Much love, everybody. Peace.